Hi, this is Nyetta. Hi, this is Tiffany. And welcome to The The Help Help Show. Show. Hello and welcome back. And thank you for tuning in for our second series, The Year of the Arts, Episode 1, Marked. For the rest of the year, we will be going into deeper dives pertaining mental health and the artist stories behind the art. Allowing a person to be able to go through the healing process, directing anger and frustration through the stroke of a brush or poetic words is so powerful, yet therapeutic. I also want to say, I also want to thank Tiffany Lindley for joining us for the Year of the Art series. Thank you, Tiffany. Yay! But before we get started, we want to say thank you to some of our subscribers. Let's see who we have. Yay. Oh, we have the Paul Morales. Thank you, Paul. Thank you, Paul. And Glam Lane, looking fabulous in this picture. That makeup is big, girl. Mm-hmm. Curls popping. <laughs> and this Daisha Board 77. More popping curls. It, I'm, it I, can't be, I can't even be jealous. It's just black girl <laughs> magic. I love it. Um, we have, what's this, um, right on um, Corey? That's my classmate. Oh, and that's a cute puppy. No, yeah, right. Yo, that is your puppy. Oh, and then I think we have my another classmate of mine, Lakeisha um, Brown. Thanks, Lakeisha. Oh, you guys are awesome. We have more, but... We actually have to get to the podcast at some point. Okay. So. But thank you all for following. <laughs> please keep subscribing. Tell your friends. We please. appreciate you so much. Oh, please tell your friends. Um, hey, guys, this month's podcast is sponsored by Restore Right... Augustine Insurance, Auckland Research Associates, and also Half Price Geeks. I've had this problem. Big problem. I really, really needed a good IT consultant. And I kept searching and searching. Ah, there are so many choices. It's really hard to find one that has all the things on my list. But I finally did it. Yes, yes, yes. Thank you. If you were looking for one as well, look no further. Here's a really good one. Just use mine. Use mine. I'm very satisfied. Definitely recommend. Problem gone. Thank Does it make a difference if you were a slave and no one knew? Did you know, according to www.ice.gov, human trafficking victims have been found in communities nationwide in the agriculture, hospitality, restaurant, domestic work, and other industries, as well as in prostitution that is facilitated online and on the street. Also, according to www.htcourts.org, 2007 statistics 12.3 million adults and children are in forced labor worldwide sexual exploitation accounts for 79 percent and is by far the most commonly identified form of trafficking followed by forced labor at 18 percent 42,291 victims of human trafficking were identified worldwide and 80 percent of those transnational victims are women and girls and 50 percent of transnational victims are minors that's heavy heavy that is heavy like oh my goodness like you until you actually do the statistics on this you have no clue it's like they're hidden in plain sight man you just like like what do you do you look at everybody like tiffany don't you be human trafficking girl (laughs) 
I, you know, if somebody has a, a maid, sometimes you have to question, like, is that really who you tell Like, I'd rather you do those services, you know, so I know that this person is, you know, being paid and has a W-2 and not just being hidden in a closet somewhere. You know what? This is, like, totally out of order, guys. But was I, did my parents work me to death? <laughs> okay, well, yes, we will learn. <laughs> about how you can actually be considered traffic but unfortunately the line's a little thicker than that okay okay it's a thin line but it's a little thicker than I was that. like did my parents tra- you know I'm sitting here you, you know, know you work for free a lot a whole lot yeah but no okay you're blessed okay, okay. we're all blessed and, yes. and the survivors are blessed for sure but <laughs> honestly though we're we're making light because you know this is gonna be a pretty it's, intense interview. It's, yeah, very. It's it's a very heavy interview, and and you know instead of um crying, I have to laugh yeah. because these interviews that you that you will you're gonna hear, it's no jack, it's no joking right. matter. And the people that you interview really poured their hearts out and really yeah. gave you know some good information. So and I really appreciated that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, you know, the human trafficking really has only gotten national attention maybe in the last 10 years because super bowl super bowl yes the biggest sporting event in the world i mean even though the olympics are coming you know the super bowl the super bowl kind of beat them out and so it's the largest like one weekend of human trafficking that has been recorded and so like what do you think about what's going to happen this year you know what i so okay first of all it's going to be in Min- uh, Minnesota? Min- Minnesota? Minnesota? Yeah, Minnesota! <laughs> please, please forgive us for these Texans. <laughs> we are Texans. But it's cold up there. I don't think that's ever stopped. It, I mean, the Super Bowl is always in February, so it's always cold. It's always cold, yeah. Uh, remember, Except for Texas. No, remember we had it one year and it was like crazy. Was it wait, Super- wait, that was an all-star. That was, which know, is also another oh my huge goodness. time for Okay, hold on. So let me tell you a real quick story, then we'll get on with the show. Okay. And so I remember that year so clear because I actually lived in Deep Ellum. Oh. Okay. And so if if you live in Dallas, you know you have Deep Ellum, and then not too far across the tracks, literally, you have Uptown. Mm-hmm. And then Uptown, you got Zaza. Mm-hmm. And you got the Ritz Carlton. Mm-hmm. You have all those fancy high end restaurants mm-hmm. and hotels. Right. Okay. And so I remember after the snow had melted, mm-hmm. um, I had, you know, w- went to some festivities. Okay. <laughs> and just a couple festivities. festivities. But anyway, um, I remember going into Zaza and it was like a, excuse my language. Okay, I can't say that, but it was a show. Okay. 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 And I was like, where are these girls' clothes? Like, they took them those mink jackets on. And I said, babe, where are these clothes at? And it was a parade of men just parading around. And the girl, it was just like, it was unbelievable. We're, it just didn't look like a regular weekend in uptown Dallas. It was like something from another. It world. was something from another animal. Yeah. And I was, I was very entertained because... You would see, you know, that's kind of not entertaining, but I was, you know, I like to watch people. Mm-hmm. And so it really was a people but I watching. But the first time you didn't think that these women are here against their will. You know what? I, that's what I didn't do. That's what I didn't think. No. And that's how it, you know, continues because we make assumptions about people's motives, especially when they're in such a dangerous type of industry. And so I'm really glad that you did these interviews to kind of give a human 
voice and face to to human trafficking and you know it, it's all glamorous sometimes yeah you know, and that's how a lot of girls especially can get sucked in but right the the when you peel back peel back that curtain it can be a rude awakening i have one more story and then i'm done because i actually so i have these stories she has a lot of stories but they're great stories because i actually took a story i took a human trafficking you know i took a class this summer so i interviewed this detective and so he told me about this young lady that was trafficked. So she came from Atlanta and came, and um, was in Houston. So you girls, you be careful when you um, when you on this um, Instagram and this Facebook with this Insta modeling and all these other things. If it's too good to be true, usually it is. And so what happened? The girl, she um, she actually. They flew her down there for a modeling quote unquote gig. Mm-hmm. Okay. She had the girl had a boyfriend. So she flies down there by herself. She gets there. The, de- the detective is telling me this story. Mm-hmm. She gets there. The madam, the top girl, mm-hmm. comes to the door. Because they fly down here, okay? Right. So they tell her, they give her the rules. Since we flew you down here, you gotta do this, 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 you gotta listen to daddy. They gave her all these rules. Be at the strip club. You got to do this. You got to make this amount of money. It don't matter if you got to sleep or whatever you got to do. The girl didn't know what to do. Wow. Okay. She was just coming to take some pictures. She, she was coming. She wanted to be her. She wanted to be an instant model. I'm just saying. So anyway. So she she was scared. And she did go to the strip club and dance. But when it came down to the sexual activity, she's like, I'm not doing this. And so they were like, you're going to do this because we paid for this ticket. You got to pay your debt off. And so what the girl did, she escaped. And her boyfriend, um, he flew her. He told her, no, he told her to go to the closest uh, police station and the police flew her back to Atlanta. So let me tell you some girls, be careful. Okay. Be careful because there's predators out here. And they're looking for gullible girls that want to be a model. It's nothing wrong with being a model. I'm not, look, if you're beautiful, that's great. But just be careful because you have people that have the wrong intent. And let's not forget about our young men, you know, our, our, the kids that run away. And, yeah. You know, there's always a place for you. So Yeah. Um, oh, they're snatching men, too. Y'all be careful, too. Okay? Yeah. They're trying to get you, too. Well, um, that was, you know, that was a good talk. I really... Oh, real quick question. So, who you voting for? I mean, who you for Super Bowl? Philly. Okay, Philly, the Eagles or the Patriots? It pains me in my soul. Okay. I, I will go with the Eagles. You know what? Patriots all the way. Oh, <laughs> it's like, it like burns. When you say Patriots. <laughs> you just go with the easy choice. I, underdog. Oh, underbird. The underbird. <laughs> Nyetta talks to licensed professional counselor Stacy Silvas about human trafficking and how huge this industry is in our own backyard of Dallas, Texas. Stacy Silvas also gives key tips on what to look for when you think someone is being forced into this line of work. So sit back and take notes. You never know who's being trafficked around you. Hi, Stacy. Hi, good afternoon. How are you doing today? Uh, it's been a good day so far. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> well, Stacy, I want to say thank you, thank you, thank you. We call that the TTT with the Help Show. Um, so we do hashtag TTT. Thank you, thank you, thank you for taking the time um, to 
discuss about human trafficking. Um, I know it's a busy day. It's Martin Luther King um, Day today, so that's a good day. <laughs> and yeah. um, I just, I, I, I'm, I'm so excited to get this interview started because I'm, I'm nervous, but I'm excited. It's a combination of both. So, you know what, let's get this interview started. <laughs> let's not waste any time. So, okay, sounds good. <laughs> so, Stacey, tell me about your um, background and what started you to be in this line of work. I moved to the Dallas area in 2008, so been here um, about 10 years. And when I originally moved to Dallas, I, I had you know no no intentions of working with human trafficking victims. Um, in fact, back when I was in school working on my master's degree, I, I don't even think that we had a single solitary class or conversation about human trafficking. It just was not um, on the radar um, in ways that it is now. Um, but when I moved to Dallas, um, I came here to, to work um, with a faith-based group and a nonprofit based in Deep Ellum. Um, and as I started doing um, counseling work, um, in the Deep Ellum downtown area of Dallas, um, I just started running into trafficking victims. Um, oh, wow. And these were kind of some of the, the stories that I was hearing and the cases that were coming my way. Um, and at that time, like I said, I, it wasn't my intention to, to work with that population. Um, didn't really have that um, specific expertise, and so I really had to stop and kind of say, okay, you know, clearly this is something that's happening in my neighborhood, um, in the place where I live and work, and so I need to get educated about this. <laughs> and so in the last 10 years, it's been a, a, a journey of, you know, kind of digging in and developing um, a much better understanding and expertise um, of what human trafficking and sex trafficking specifically looks like and how to um, work with people who are survivors and uh, working on getting connected um, with other people and other resources in our community that do the same thing. Okay. And so um, how long have you been licensed and what are your credentials? Um, I'm a licensed professional counselor um, with the state of Texas, and I am also a licensed minister. Um, so I was a licensed minister before I was a, a licensed professional counselor, um, and I have been um, a licensed professional counselor in Texas. Gosh, I'm having trouble counting up the years here, probably about five years, and um, I've been a minister longer than that. So, Okay. And for those that are not, for those that don't know what human trafficking is, what is human trafficking? Um, a, a good definition um, of human trafficking is any person who's been involved with someone else who has had to use force, fraud, or coercion to control them for the purpose of engaging them in commercial sex work or labor services against his or her will. And so I think the really important part of that is that there was force, fraud, or coercion used to control um, the victim. Okay. And so with that being said, what type of cases are you seeing and when you would meet 
those that were the victims, you know, would they approach you? Would you approach them? I'm kind of curious about that. Sure. For most of the work that I've done, um, referrals of um, survivors have come through um, most often um, law enforcement referrals um, or other nonprofits um, who have gotten connected with victims and are then um, looking to help them find you know, special services to meet their needs, such as counseling services um, that, that would specifically be understanding their situation. Um, and in my experience, the, the group of people that I work with, um, I, I found are, are kind of fall into two main categories um, for their involvement um, with sex trafficking. And the first one is familial trafficking, um, which basically is just a way to say that some family member um, was the person who began trafficking them. Um, and so sometimes this is generational. We had parents who were involved um, in some type of trafficking work and then involved to their children. Um, and other times it's you know, more of an extended family um, member. Um, perhaps a teenager, for instance, um, didn't have a real stable home life, and so they had maybe been bouncing around, you know, living with their grandma here, staying with the cousin there. Um, and somewhere in that mix, a family member has pulled them um, into being trafficked. And so that would be the first kind, familial trafficking. Um, and the second, and this, these are just kind of two very broad categories, so um, it looks different for every individual, but the second category would just be unintentional involvement with a trafficker um, or a pimp. Um, for a lot of the younger um, girls that I work with, um, that kind of looks like getting involved with someone that they think um, they're dating um, or that they think is going to be a boyfriend or a girlfriend. And um, in the process of that, um, you know, traffickers are experts at um, the fraud piece and the manipulation piece. And so they will really um, just kind of draw this young person into this relationship and then sort of all of a sudden it changes um, from this dating relationship or what feels like a very loving relationship into a relationship where there is a lot of forced fraud, coercion, and control. Um, and then at that point, the young person often feels like, I'm stuck in this situation. And it wasn't ever their intention to be involved with sex trafficking. Oh, wow. Do you... In your line of work, do you see more of the um, unintentional trafficking happening? Um, I would say for me it's in the, a 50-50 split, actually. Um, i quite a few cases of familial trafficking. Um, like I said, in the other big category is that kind of unintentional uh, involvement with a trafficker or a pimp. Um, and, and I'd say it, it really is about half and half. And it is just the family connections that one had, and um, the other half of it is that getting connected with someone who had some very um, evil and ill intent um, and the person just didn't, uh, you know, wasn't able to understand that or clue into that until it was too late. Oh, wow. So, wow. <laughs> um, so who, with that being said, so who are the victims, victims of human trafficking? So can, is, it, is it just women? Can it be men? Is it, you know? 
Um, no, it, 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 we have ha- we have worked with um, young men as well as young women, um, mm-hmm. and both um, teenagers, um, you know, down to age about thirteen. In my personal experience, um, and also all the way up to adults. And so it it, it there really is not. Um, one set group of people that you can identify as human trafficking victims um, because it happens to youth, it happens to those who are under age, um, but it also happens to some of our adult men and women as well. Okay. Wow. Um, so how do you identify? So how how did you identify the traffickers? Remember, because you said when you first started, you were in Deep Ellum. And so how did you identify the traffickers? Sure. Um, oftentimes, um, a, a victim of human trafficking will not show up and say, I'm a victim of human trafficking. Um, okay. That's something that oftentimes you need a little bit of education and a little bit of understanding um, for the person to be able to understand that and to acknowledge that. Um, so oftentimes I hear a different, a different story um, coming out. But when you're listening to it from, you know, from looking at the outside in, um, uh-huh. it's not too hard to identify that there's been exploitation that's happened there. Um, and oftentimes you know, that looks like anybody who's talking about a situation um, that was not their choice to be in, um, in the sense that they might be saying uh, something like, well, uh, you know, I went and I was staying, you know, with my cousin because I you know, couldn't be at my mom's house anymore. And then my cousin started telling me that I had to do this in order to pay them back <laughs> for letting oh, me wow. stay there um, or right. for, you know, the food I was eating. Um, or even for our adult women, you saying, well, I was in this relationship, and then you know, this person started telling me that you know, I had to do, and you, know, you can kind of fill in the blank there, um, but that they had to do something. Um, sometimes in order to be safe, you know, it was, was very threatening, you're going to do this, or I'm going to physically harm you. Okay. Um, or it might just be something like, you know, either you do this, or I'm going to kick you out on the street. You don't have anywhere else to go. Um, at that particular moment. Um, and so those are, are just some examples um, that I hope shed a little bit of light for people of, of how that occurs. Right. And so once the victim has been through all of this, now they're reaching out for help. And so what techniques do you use to build trust to prevent re-traumatization of the victim? So they go through the treatment with you. Okay, mm-hmm. and so they're at a place where they don't trust. Um, they're they they have tra- they they are they have trauma, you know what they have been through, and so coming to you, what techniques do you use to build a trust? Sure. With the- well, with with anyone who's been through a trauma, whether that's you know trafficking or or anything else, the first thing that you want to focus on is establishing safety. Um, and, and that's going to be on a practical level um, that we need to have uh, a safe environment to be living in. Um, you know, we need to have safety as far as, okay, I know where my next meal is coming from. 
um, right. that we've kind of taken care of these basic needs and established safety. Um, and for some people, that safety is kind of related to law enforcement concerns as well. They need to know that um, their trafficker or abuser is not um, able to find them or is not mm -hmm. looking for them. Um, right. So wor working with someone to establish safety um, in those basic and practical areas is always um, the first thing. You can't do any other type of treatment effectively until you've established safety in those areas. Um, and then you want to move on to establishing some um, emotional safety and some relational safety. Um, and that looks like definitely having consistency in the relationship that, um, you know, if we say we are going to meet every week at this time, we meet every week at this time. Um, or if I say I'm going to, you know, provide this information or help you connect to this service, then those things are followed up on and completed. Uh, that way the person that you're working with begins to see, okay, this is someone who says what they mean. Um, they're honest and forthright. They're not trying to hide or manipulate in any way. Um, and I can kind of relax and begin to establish some, some relational trust. Um, and on the emotional trust piece of that, I think it's very important um, with any trauma victim uh, not to push too hard. Um, they need to go at their own pace in dealing with what has happened to them. Um, and Sometimes I feel like that's a mistake people make, that they really want to push people to um, tell their story or to share the details. And that's mm -hmm. probably a good thing at some point in time, but the person has to be ready for it um, and willing to do it. And that's where you know, establishing just that emotional trust that, okay, I can show up and talk to you about what I need to talk about this week without being um, you know, pushed or, you know, feeling coerced into having to do something that I don't really want to do because that just kind of limits the experiences of being trafficked. Right. And so does is that a type of trauma for the victim? Um, sometimes, yeah, being, being forced to um, sort of recount all of the, the details or events um, can be re-traumatizing. Like I said, that has to be done, um, hopefully with someone who has an expertise in how to lead someone through that in a way that's not going to be re-traumatizing. Um, and that's where having counseling support for anybody who's involved with a law enforcement case where they might be needing to give testimony or things like that um, are very helpful for a trauma victim to have that additional support of someone who knows how to kind of guide them through that process so that it's not re-traumatizing re um, after the fact. Oh, wow. Um, when, you, when you are um, counseling these victims, what do you anticipate um, that, what, what need should, should you anticipate the victims of human trafficking they will have? Like what need, what, what do you think that, um, that they will, you know, what do you anticipate the victims will have? Um, well, one need that, that all trauma victims have is um, to, to have someone working with them who's coming from a perspective of trauma-informed care, um, which basically means that, that you have to approach the situation knowing that m more likely than not, 
um, this person is experiencing symptoms of post-traumatic stress, and that needs to be dealt with accordingly. We, we deal with that differently than we do, say, someone who's just presenting um, a mental health concern like depression or anxiety. Um, the, the depression or the anxiety symptoms might also be present, but you have to work with them in a way that takes into account the trauma that the person mm-hmm. has experienced um, and the specific ways that that's affected their um, relational ability, um, the way that it's uh, changed the way that they interact with the world. And that, that would be you know, definitely one need um, that, that trauma survivors have and trafficking survivors had. And I'd say that the other one that, you know, this is kind of down the road in working with someone once we've established safety and we've established a good um, working rapport where it feels um, emotionally and relationally safe and we have um, dealt with um, some of the post-traumatic stress type of symptoms um, that sort of the next level or the next step from that would be just working with a person to change um, their relational patterns. And, uh, of course, you know, trafficking victims are just that. They are trafficking victims. Because they did not go out looking to be involved in trafficking. Um, But at the same time, there was some kind of pattern there, either in their family and the way that their family life was organized and the way that they related to each other um, as family members um, or in the way that they sought out relationships that made them vulnerable um, to to being taken advantage of, um, to being coerced. And going back and, and looking at, okay, what are those relational patterns? How do we teach this person to identify um, who's a safe and trustworthy person and who's right. not? Um, right. and, and kind of changing some of those patterns about maybe how they were looking at the world or how they were developing relationships. Um, so that they can go forward in life making healthy, safe relationships. Right. So you did describe a couple um, signs of trauma, which is depression, anxiety, and post-traumatic stress. Um, Mm -hmm. With that being said, can you describe other signs of trauma and how that might affect your initial interviews or or, or interactions with the um, victim? Um, well, we can um, definitely look at other other signs of, of trauma, especially the, the the longer the trauma was in place or the more severe the trauma was. Um, you can have episodes of dissociation. You know, the person is no longer connected to um, the reality right there in front of them. Um, frequently for trauma victims, that can come in the form of um, flashbacks um, where something has triggered a memory of that trauma and even though they're in a completely different environment or in a safe place at that moment, they feel like they're back um, in the middle of that um, trauma that's happening. Um, So different types of dissociation like that are common uh, with trauma victims. Um, That would be definitely one of the the more frequent signs uh, of dealing with post-traumatic stress. Um, and along with that, um, we, we often just 
the disorganized um, memories. Trauma really impacts the way that people remember things. Um, okay. And we could, um, in some other context, maybe dive into all of the specific explanations about um, how the brain is at work in trauma. Um, but you see that, it, that the way that people remember things has been impacted. Um, and that's where oftentimes with trauma victims, you can do an interview with them, and it's very hard for them to put together a timeline sometimes. Okay. Um, you know, they recall things um, out of order, so to speak. Um, and that's just a sign of the trauma, right? The, the trauma right. has sort of changed, changed the way that my brain normally functions because uh, trauma, by definition, is something that's overwhelming. Um, and so those are some other things that you can see with trauma victims that sometimes people misinterpret. They look at that and they feel like a trauma victim is um, intentionally being difficult or being dishonest. Um, and that's not the case. They're just dealing with the symptoms of, of having been through a severe trauma. When you um, interact with the victim, um, are there sometimes um, a language barrier, um, difficulty when assisting the victim? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I only have experience working with um, domestic victims of okay. trafficking. So that would be just people who, who are American citizens as opposed to those who may have been um, coming across the border, coming from another country as a part of their trafficking. So I haven't ever had to um, deal with the, with the language barrier piece of that myself. Okay. And what are your priorities when treating the victims? Um, the, the priorities are kind of similar to to what I mentioned earlier, but the first one being establishing safety. Um, You can't do anything effective with the person until you've um, established that safety factor. Um, And then the next priority would just be to develop um, a really trusting working relationship with them Um, and also just to provide some education as well. I feel like that's a really key component of working with any trauma victim. Um, They're they're not coming into the situation understanding all of what it means to have been through a trauma. And so there's a lot of education involved there about, you know what, this is not anything strange. You know, trauma victims can often feel like, you know, they've gone crazy or they're losing it in some way and be very frustrated um, with some of the symptoms and things that they're dealing with. And it's just coming in with some education and saying, okay, this is how trauma, uh, you know, affects Everybody who's been through a trauma, um, everybody has some of this this very similar set um, of the symptoms and things to work through following that. So you're not alone in that, and it's not unusual. And there are things available to help deal with this. You will not be stuck at this exact same place forever. Okay. You made a statement saying that you work with American citizens. Is there a particular region or a, a prime area that um, you experience more trafficking than others, like Fort Worth? You have more in Dallas. You have East Dallas, Oak Cliff. Um, we have West Dallas, North Dallas, you know. Or there are mm-hmm. Garland. <laughs> Dallas is very is, is a huge um, city. Um, are yeah. there or there more substantial um, trafficking happen in certain areas than, you know, than others? 
internationally. Um, of course, the, the Dallas-Fort Worth Metroplex is recognized as kind of um, a hub for human trafficking okay. um, in a national sense. Um, in sort of a very local and regional sense, I, mm-hmm. I honestly can't, can't say that um, I could pinpoint one area. Um, I have had people from just about every corner of the Mex- Me- metroplex, you know, up to um, the Plano and Frisco area, people coming okay. from, from Garland, from DeSoto, from um, Lancaster, from, you know, Dallas proper, downtown Dallas area. Um, and right. so the victims that I've connected with um, in my work ha- have really come from all areas of the Metroplex. And I think that just speaks to, um, you know, this is not like an isolated problem. Right. <laughs> it doesn't affect right. just, just one community um, or it doesn't affect just one age group or it doesn't affect just one um, ethnicity. Um, it, it really is spread um, quite, quite widely. Okay. Um, what are the needs when you once you go once you've done the counseling session with the victim? What are the needs? Um, what are the needs of victims and survivors? What are their needs? Um, like outside of the the counseling um, relationship specifically, let's say one thing that they need uh, most is to be connected to a positive and supportive community. Um, and if they have family members, um, like I said, I, I've worked with familial trafficking, so sometimes family members are not safe people for the right. for the victim. But if they they have some family um, that is you know safe and positive for them that they can connect with, um, reconnecting um, with that, that family um, and making sure that we're working on rebuilding those relationships um, if there's been some damage to them, um, that that's a key. And if family's not available. Um, just connecting them to positive and supportive relationships and people within their community. Um, that That is the number one thing that the trafficking victims need um, it is to maintain and build those sort of positive connections. We all need each other in community. We do. We yeah. And um, especially when you have been through something that's difficult. I mean, those are the times, I don't know if your, your listeners can pause and think about, you know, a difficult time um, in their life, whatever it was that was going on, you know, whether that was, you know, something financial or something relational, um, you know, but those were the times when you, you, you wanted to and needed to reach out to people around you for extra support. Um, and a lot of times the trafficking victims that I work with are coming in with a complete lack of that. They They don't have any... Um, positive, encouraging, supportive relationships in their lives. So they, well, they don't. You know, that's why they're, that's why they've, you know, gotten into the situation that they, they've gotten into because they didn't have that positive relationship in their life. If a trafficker um, would stumble across this, um, this podcast, or someone that may feel that a friend, you know, or or family members being trafficked. Um, what are your recommendations that you would, or let's say hypothetically, someone's feeling that they may be trafficked? You know, let's give a, a broad scenario. Um, how 
would that um, victim, how would they protect themselves from becoming victims, you know, once more? You know. I would definitely encourage them to to reach out to um, anyone they could find in their community, um, any adult they could find in their community that, that could connect them to some resources. So, you know, that might be um, a, a teacher, a neighbor, a pastor, right. um, you know, any, any adult that they could maybe say, hey, I think I'm not in a safe situation. Um, you know, right. I, I'm not, maybe they're not sure, but kind of like, I feel like something about this is not okay. <laughs> right. um, and if they could just say that to someone um, and then, you know, kind of go from there, um, we would hopefully um, have that, that adult person be able to, if they weren't sure what to do, find the next person who would know what to be, what to do. <laughs> Um, and and kind of um, work on connecting that person with some services. So I think just starting with speaking out to somebody and saying, like I said, even if you're not entirely sure, but maybe just something about the situation or something about the relationship feels like it's not what you want um, or that it's not safe or right, um, to just share that with someone, with with an adult that seems like they would be trustworthy and could be helpful. Um, that would be the the first thing, and a, a lot of, I guess, the trafficking victims are, are, you know, they they got into that situation through fraud, <laughs> through force, through coercion. Um, right. They didn't go looking for it; it wasn't what they wanted. And because of that, they often feel very trapped, very stuck. Like, sure. um, I don't know what to do about this. I don't, you know, I'm not quite sure how I got here. <laughs> In some cases, like this was never my intention. Um, I didn't right. go looking for this. Um, and now that I'm I'm here and I'm in it, you know, it just feels like there's no way out of it. Um, and, and I just want to kind of put that word out there that there there truly are as, as alone and as stuck as someone can feel in that that situation. That there are so many different organizations, um, so many different people who um, have specifically been working with trafficking victims, developing expertise, saying, "Hey, we know how to help you." Um, right. that there is help out there and you don't have to remain stuck where you are. You, you do have options. You just need to be able to connect yourself to those options. Um, and in that sense, I don't want anybody to feel hopeless. <laughs> I want right. them to right. feel like there, there is hope available. Um, there is help available. And I, I just need to find a way to get myself to connect to that help and to that hope. Right. What do you think? What do you think people need to know about survivors of human trafficking? Um, I, I would want people to know that, um, you know, in their mind they might be thinking that this, again, seems like something um, I don't know, very, very foreign or very far away from them. But the chances are good that that you know someone or you've been connected in some way to a person who's been a victim of trafficking. You just didn't know it. They didn't tell you. Um, And and part of why I'm saying that is that, you know, almost all of the the trafficking victims that I've worked with, um, at at some point they they go back to, um, you know, if they've been connected to help, they go back to, um, living life, they go back to school, <laughs> so they're in right. they're in school um, with your kids, um, right. you know, going to the high school down the street, 
um, or they're right. in your community college, um, right. or they are working jobs in your neighborhood. It's the person who checked you out at the grocery store. <laughs> right. You never um, know someone's story. <laughs> exactly. Um, and, you know, trafficking has just kind of become um, so so prevalent, and, um, you know, there are so many victims of it that, uh, like I said, you might think that it's kind of far away or, or very foreign or something that just doesn't have anything to do with you, but if you knew the story of everybody around you, there would be people that you know or are in some way connecting with um, that have been trafficking victims. So I think we just kind of all need to sometimes take a step back and remember that um, even though this might just sound kind of far-fetched to some people, I, I completely understand that, that at the same time you need to realize that this is happening in your neighborhood to your neighbors, to people that you have probably known or will know. Well, oh, almost, I'm, I'm almost like to ask you the most important thing. I'm like, it almost like slipped my mind, which is awful. Um, if someone is looking for help, what do you have a um, – a nonprofit you would say to call, like what step would you tell them to, what, step would, what steps would you take them through if they're wanting help, they need help, they're saying, please help yeah. me out the situation? One what would be the, your advice? One of the easiest things to do is to call the, the National Human Trafficking Hotline. Okay. Um, and that's, that's staffed 24-7, so you can call anytime. Um, and I think that, that that's kind of like an, an easy go-to for anyone, um, whether you yourself are a victim or whether you think you may know someone who's been a victim of human trafficking. Uh-huh. Um, that's just a great place to start. And like I said, that's extra easy because it's available 24-7. Um, and there are lots of great organizations here um, in the, the Metroplex to connect with. Um, specifically, mm-hmm. I've worked a lot with um, an organization called Refuge City. Um, so we focus on work with young people um, under the age of 21. Um, so if you think you know a young person under the age of 21 who might be uh, it trafficked or have been involved with some kind of trafficking or exploitation in the past, um, that might also be a great place to start. Um, just to to give a call, and they can always direct you to another organization or other places to go um, if it's not a good fit for you. Uh, And also law enforcement. Our our law enforcement um, in the Dallas area specifically, I think, have done a really excellent job of learning how to work with trafficking victims in a way that's um, helpful. And so just starting off with calling um, your local police department or talking to law enforcement um, can also be a way to connect you to some resources. Okay. You know what, those are really, really great um, recommendations. Do you, what about if someone wanted to um, contact you directly, um, do you give your information out or do you um, give give it to, um, do you, tell them your organization, they can reach you that way, or how could someone that's interested in reaching sure. you, how could they reach you? Absolutely. Um, my, my information is on um, our website at sylvuscounseling.org, um, and anyone's welcome to go check out that page. Um, there's a contact form on there if you'd like to use that. That's easy. 
Um, but there are also phone numbers and emails, so anyone's welcome to use those as well. Well, Stacy, I want to say thank you so much for taking the time out um, with interviewing with the with the Help Show. You know, only I can tell people is listen. You know, love, be kind, don't judge because you never know someone's story. And you know, that's how I can really think about. It. You really never know someone's story what someone is going through. And so, with that being said, thank you guys for listening to the Help Show. Thank you for the interview, Nietta. Appreciate it. After Nietta interviewed Miss Silvers, she reaches out to a young lady named Desiree that was trafficked in Dallas, Texas. Heartbroken and misled, Desiree finds her way out of the darkness because of the love of her children and her faith. Being able to express the emotional nightmares Desiree encountered while prostituting on the streets and her drawings have helped her heal. The interview takes place at Victory Outreach Center in a small bedroom with eight bunk beds. Desiree shares a room with several other women in recovery. The noise in the background are the women in the recovery center as they're having dinner. Today's podcast music is produced by Davian Abney Music. To get your very own custom beats, email him at davianabneymusic at gmail.com. That's D-A-V-I-O-N-A-B-N-E-Y-M-U-S-I-C at gmail.com. Hi, this is Nayetta, and you are listening to The Health Show. I am at Victory Outreach, and I have an amazing um, guest that I want you guys to listen to her story. This month we talk about um, human trafficking, and our title's called Marked. And this young lady is a survivor. And I am so, um, I'm just beyond astound how strong she is, first and foremost. And I think she's a brave, she's a soldier. And I want to say thank you for interviewing with The Help Show. And so people can hear your story and how there is a way out of, you know, human trafficking, sex trafficking, that you could be helped. And so I am going to give you the floor. I have probably like six questions to ask you. Okay. Um, so I am sitting here <coughs> next to Desiree. And Desiree, thank you, thank you, thank you for You're interviewing welcome. with the Help Show. We call that the TTT. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and so I want you to tell the audience a little bit about your story. Um, basically, I grew up on, I actually had a mentality of being the man of the house. And with that, it came with a lot of pride. I took care of my family. I took care of the outside needs. Um, if anybody picked on my brothers or sisters, I would be the one that they would go to. And along that, on my journey of being the man of the house, I started to hate any kind of man that would, that it would, any anytime any man would tell me something or they would try to lead me this way, I would always want to t- to take over. And I was really hurt by any kind of man along my journey. And I was missing something. I wanted love. But my idea of love was twisted. I thought 
you had to hurt me in order for you, me to feel like that you love me. Hmm. And I was, I was mostly, I, was, I had very hard discipline by my dad. Hmm. And the only way that I knew he loved me is if he spanked me or he would push my head across the room. And all I wanted to do was just to tell him that I missed him. And the only way I could get his attention was if, was this was if I could get in trouble and I did. Sometimes not on purpose. And most of the time that's the only time he paid attention to me. So I grew up on that mentality and with my relationships I felt like I wasn't loved because nobody was hitting me. Mm. And at the age of 17 my first actual relationship I felt like he didn't love me and so I thought having a baby was a way how of how I could feel loved and it turns out I didn't even know how to love my own daughter Mm. even when I had her I would not hold her at all Mm. and along the way I had twins and I had another relationship and he was hitting me and he was just mistreating me and that was the only way I felt loved and I even told him that and then he started doing it more Mm. and then in 2017 um, I went into it came to the point where I was living into the trap house and I was so tired I knew this was not the way to love I can't even show love on my kids and I thought to myself, what am I what am I gonna do? I don't this is not the right way to love. Right. And I got introduced at um I usually go to the Victory Outreach of East Dallas. Mm-hmm. And I was introduced into the the women's recovery home. And they told me a little bit about them and I told them my situation. Like I was living in the trap house. I was smoking and I was just wanting to try new new drugs. And either I was always bored or I was frustrated. Right. And I was just trying to find love in all the wrong places. I couldn't even keep a stable relationship. And uh, then I finally went into the recovery home the first time. And I only did not even two months. Because when they talk about God is the God of love. His love is everlasting. I became scared of that. Hmm. And I was not used to gentleness. I was not used to hugs. I was not used to kisses on the cheeks or the foreheads. And so I left. And I went to live back with my family. But it became to where my family turned back against me. Hmm. And when I tried to love, they wanted to take my kids away. Hmm. And it, it was to the point where I let them control my kids. And I even let them control me. Hmm. I tried to win their love with money. And any time that we didn't have enough to pay for the rent or no food, I was, I felt like I was the one responsible. Thing. I got my family in this situation, so... I'm going to make the money the best way that I can. And I went out on dates. 
and if they wanted something more I would tell them to pay me no less than a hundred and eventually they did and I come home and my mom would ask where did this money come from and I would tell her it came from my baby daddy you know the usual the usual one who's always around and she's like oh okay you know and deep down I was hurting and I really wanted to tell my, my mom and my dad because I grew up with them saying that we're not supposed to be like that we're not supposed to be adulterous lustful but my family was led astray from God <laughs> and even when I came back to live with them there's everybody was drinking and that was never allowed before everything was changing around me and then I started coming back to church and I put myself in a grief class something I always ran away from for seven years I've been dealing with my grief but can I ask you a question when you were out there um, selling yourself mm -hmm. when you when you were in the trap house were your children with you in the trap house Yes. were you selling yourself in the trap house when your kids were there as well no Okay. Um, what about how many dates did you go on that, you know, that they wanted something from you or they wanted, you know, some type of sexual favor? It would be almost every three, every three to five days. Uh -huh. I would always be needing money. But the weird thing is it, I always put my kids and my family before my needs. Right. And when the rent was taken care of and all the financial needs were taken care of the the needs for my kids needed to be met my kids they went on so long not knowing how to sleep on a bed or sit at the table oh wow and we were always on the floor they always had to sleep on the hard floor and i just felt so bad mm. and finally I got a check from um, a school that I used to go to, a medical school, hmm. and it was it was like a sixteen hundred, sixteen almost seventeen hundred dollar check. I spent it on um, three beds, and that was it. Hmm. Just three beds for my kids. That's all I wanted for my kids, hmm. for them to know how to go to bed, and hmm. it was just they didn't even have clothes that really fitted them. They barely even had shoes, and I just felt so bad and I even had a lot of thoughts. I had a lot of days where I felt like, man, why am I alive? Hmm. Like, God, why why am I alive? I'm just waiting to die. And I became angry with him. I was hmm. like, he's just another man who's going to hurt me. He does not meet my needs. Hmm. And I was like, you're just like all other men. He hmm. always hurt you. Oh my gosh. And till um I came back to the grief class and towards the end of that one class that I went to, it's a it's a eight week it's a eight week thing. Mm -hmm. And I wanted to leave that grief class. You so before so let's let's back all the way up. Mm -hmm. How did you actually start? I think I started in high school. In high school. In high school. Yeah, for my freshman year. Oh wow! Mm -hmm. Was it like was it 
like um peer pressure or was it because you were just bored or did you did you because i know you said you want to take care of your family mm-hmm. but before you're in high school so mm-hmm. did you feel you take care of your family in high school or did you just start just to escape the issues with you know with drugs and sex and all those kind of things mm-hmm. it was more of like an escape from the problems that i was facing at home with school and just like all the problems at home and i just wanted i felt like i needed more excitement you know and it was the in thing around that time hmm. too so it, i think it was peer, peer pressure too hmm. you know and a lot of people would say, oh, my gosh, you're so pretty. The way you do your hair and your makeup. You mm. And I was actually hiding behind my makeup. Oh, wow. And I wanted to play that hard look, too. So, Desiree, were you ever sex trafficked? Have you ever engaged in sex trafficking? Yes. Um, I was, it was the time when I ran away in um, my junior year in high school. And I met this guy named Ray, hmm. and he called me a baby girl, and I thought I was just all bad and everything, you know, and I wanted to play play that hardcore gang look kind of thing, you know? Right. <laughs> and um, then he said that he needed money, hmm. and I was like, well, I need money too, so what do you want me to do? Right. And he was like, um, I think you know what you want me to do, so... Let me try you out first, and then we'll see how much you're worth. Huh. And so that night it happened. Huh. And he was said he said that I was worth more than a hundred. Uh huh. For like thirty minutes. Huh. And I was one to jump the prices up a little bit further. Right. And so that was actually going on. I actually met him in North Dallas. And that was actually going on for three months. Hmm. And I was using an excuse to say that I have after school studies for right. my parents. And I ended up going him to North Dallas for a little bit. Right. How long did you go with him in North Dallas? It would be for like two hours. Two hours? Mm-hmm. Two hours a day. Oh, wow. And how long was that? How long did that last? Just for three months. For three months? Mm-hmm. Okay. Okay. And when I. I didn't want to do that no more. I actually told him that I didn't. I didn't want to do that no more. Most most of the times, guys would like, "Oh no, I need to, I need you to make my money." Right. You know? But for some reason, he was understanding. Huh. He told me, "You need to go back to school. Huh. You need to finish, and you need to start your education." So, let's go back. So. Let's go back to Ray. Mm-hmm. When you would go with him for two hours, mm-hmm. was it like, was it how many, was it one man an hour, two hours, like? It would be three. Three men an hour? Mm-hmm. Three, two hours. Mm-hmm. Okay. And how did that make you feel? I actually didn't feel anything. I actually felt dead inside. Mm. I was waiting to die at it early since 13. Mm. And I was just going with the flow, basically. Mm. Any opportunity that came my way, I was just dead to it. Mm. I had no excitement, no sadness, just very a very hard heart to it. Mm. And, you know, looking back at it now, it's, there's been a bunch of situations where I could have died. Because right. mostly Ray would leave me 
in the middle of the street. And he had me, he told me, I'll be back and then, like, and when you're done, you know. And right. then he said, I'm going to come look for you. Huh. And, you know, to me that was like, is that a threat? Huh. Um, I'm thinking, like, how is he going to continue to threaten me yet be nice to me at the same time? And I was just confused. It's very twisted mentality. Right. You know? Right. Growing up, it's just very twisted, you know? Right. But when I came back to the things of God, I'm looking at it now, and I'm like, I actually, God was, God's hand was on me. <laughs> There's a reason why I'm still alive. It's, he called me because I have a purpose. Most definitely. Mm-hmm. You do have a purpose. And when I came into the home, and we're go- we do something called evangelism. Yes. We go out to the streets, actually. Right. And where all the prostitutes are. Right. And I see young girls, and mostly they turn their heads away from the older women. Uh-huh. But I call their I call their attention, and I said, I used to be out here with you too. Right. And. They'll be like, how do you know? And I tell my story, and then they would cry. They they would say, you're just a baby. I'm, and I'm like, you're just a baby, too. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. So all this time that you were doing this, you were doing the drugs, you were in the trap houses, you were, mm-hmm. you were trafficking. Did your family even know? Did your family have an inkling of suspension? Day, Suspicious. To this day... I really don't know if they know that I was a prostitute, but they would always buy condoms for me. Huh. And I would, I'd, I would tell them, of course, I had my daughter at a very young age, right. 17, you know, but I had the opportunity to finish school okay. early and I was with my pregnancy and they were, at first they were shocked Okay. until I started having my baby bump. They were okay with it. Right. You know? And uh, so to this day, I still don't know. And when I came back into the home, this, I haven't talked to them for three months. Oh, wow. My, mm, we have so much problems. Right, right. And no no family. Mm-hmm. No family is perfect, trust yeah. me. My family's not perfect. Yeah. You know, everybody has family issues and family problems. But it's, you know, one day you'll be able to talk to your mom or talk to your father or talk to your siblings you guys can, you know, work it out. Mm-hmm. I um the, qu- the question I really want to know, when did you know when you were with Ray? Going back to Ray, this is very interesting. When did you realize that you were being trafficked, that you were a prostitute? Like when did it click and say, "Oh my god." I think it was when I actually came back to church was when hmm. I first came. Okay. And like as soon as I entered the doors, I had this overwhelming feeling. It was like a, a burning uh-huh. sensation all over my back. Yet it was like a peaceful feeling, huh. and it's almost like a voice was telling me, like, the way you're living is wrong. Right. And obviously, around that time, I couldn't tell anybody because the, most of the churches I went to, they didn't have anybody. Well, they made it seem like. They were the perfect church. Right, know? right. And, they didn't have programs or anything yes, that could help you, mm-hmm. correct. And I couldn't really relate to anybody. And I grew up almost like a suburbs kind oh, of area, huh. you know. And and when I but when I came into this ministry, Victory Outreach, you have 
ex gangbangers, ex prostitutes, yes. you know, you name them, we got them. Yeah. You know? <laughs> right. Saved right. by the grace of God. <laughs> right. Right. And I'm like, let me hear your story before I tell mine. Right. And so they will tell me theirs. And I'm like so shocked. Like, they went through worse than I did. And they're still alive. Right. Right. You know? And in the end, most of the ladies, they tell me, but thank God you don't have to go through what I went through. Yeah. You know? But I also say that on my part. Right. You know? Right. And when I was out there doing my thing, I was I was a leader. Uh, girls were under me. Right. You know? The young ones. Right. And some of them I would t- turn away because I didn't want them to live that kind of life. Right. What's the youngest that you would turn away? Thirteen. Thirteen? Mm-hmm. And what's the oldest that you would that you would um actually keep? I think it was fifteen. Fifteen. Mm-hmm. Huh. And I would always say to them, you know what? I, yeah, I'll look out for you, but I'm not responsible for your blood. Huh. And I would basically, I was just on out there doing my own thing, making my my money, you know, making Ray's part and doing my part. Right. And. It's just looking at it now. It's so twisted. Yeah. What was I going through? <laughs> but you know what? When did you? When did you? When did you get out? When did you say, you know what? Okay, Ray, I'm done with you. Okay, look, mm-hmm. I'm done, Ray. Because you know, after you probably stopped doing the prostituting, you you and Ray maybe still still dealt with each other. Did you just cut him all the way off? Yeah, I cut him all the way off. I. He knew where I lived. Okay. And. But I told him up front, like, because he had his, he had another girl with him too. Right. Like, we, were, we were like his two main ones. Okay. And so, so were you a bottom? I was a top one. You was the top one. Okay. Yeah. Is it so? There, so there's a top one and a bottom one. Mm-hmm. Okay, you're the top. So, yeah. Okay. <laughs> and because the the bottom one, she was a new girl. Okay. And she was very, she was very young, but she was scared. Okay. You know, and I was like. You have her. I gotta. I can't do this no more. You know, huh. Back and forth, my parents are gonna find out. Right. And he didn't want that because he didn't want the cops to be called. Right. Right. So he was like, okay. He, then he started giving me that motivational speech, that manipulating speech. Yeah. Okay. Because <laughs> I'm like, girl, that's a manipulating that, speech. That's that not player, the motive. Yeah. That play. <laughs> right. Trying to have that, all that pride in him. <laughs> and um. To this day, I still think I still think about him. Huh. And Why? It's cause I used to hate him a lot. Okay. Which is justifiable. Mhm. But mainly, I I pray for him now because he doesn't need to be out there on the streets either. It's, right. It's like I have a heart for the ones who are still out there doing right. their thing because. Right. They're doing it because they're hiding something that they don't want to deal with, which is what I was doing. Right. You know, I was hiding my pain, my hurt, you know, wanting to feel love, but didn't know what was love. Right. And now I actually, I actually married Jesus November 6th. Oh, I love it. It's good. This is good. Good, Uh good. And um, I'm so excited because I never knew what it meant to be like, to be pure. Right. You know, not only physically, but emotionally, mentally, spiritually. Yeah. You know, within it's it's amazing. What a beautiful journey that yes. is. And it's like I'm happier. Right. You, know, you have to you have to find someone 
to really expose everything. Something, some, like for me, I have my director, uh-huh. and I was afraid to tell her my testimony, what I went through. Right. You know, there's still a lot of things where I didn't tell her, but slowly she's showing me that motherly love. She's showing me that I can trust her with my right. problems. Right. And I just love her so much that, you know, God put her in my life to really deal with these things that I still have, you know. Mm-hmm. I've, I've been delivered of my anger, my lust, and turned it around, really wanted to experience God's love. Mm-hmm. And it's funny because um, I told another one of my leaders I said I can't I can't know if somebody's my husband unless he dances with me like in the 1930s kind of thing <laughs> and she told me like that's like asking a man go and go fly to Jamaica then come back then you'll be my husband like, okay so then when I went into prayer mm-hmm. I was just hard-headed I was like god I I I really do want a husband right I'm still I'm still with my idea yeah but the next second I felt somebody hold my hand and then my other hand. And it's almost like I felt like a head by my head. Uh. And it's like I was dancing. And I was like, God, you're my husband. husband. Most definitely. Like, oh, my gosh. I was on cloud nine. I was so in love. I felt like, oh, my gosh. So, And I have days where, you know, mainly right now in my walk with God, I need him to be my husband because right. I want to learn how to submit myself because God can't bless me with my a physical husband if I rule over a man's authority because in the Bible it says, you know, the men, the wives are supposed to be submitting unto men. Right. And, you know, the women, they didn't have, we can have the authority, you know, they know that the man is the head of the household, but the women can be the neck, you know. Right. But now... I want to be a blessing in a marriage. I want to be a blessing in my church, not a distraction. Right. Know, I don't want to make a brother fall, you know, just because <laughs> of the way I, you know, do my makeup, my hair, my, the way I dress, you know. Right. And it's so weird because when I was doing my thing, I used to dress revealing, you right. know, just the whole V thing and the shorts <laughs> and everything. Right. And, um, but now I like to make sure I close myself up and right. I've, I'll be like, am I going to make a brother fall? You know, I have to ask everybody's opinion. Am I going to make a brother fall in this dress? You know? <laughs> if it is, I'm going to take it off. <laughs> Where's something more appropriate? <laughs> right. So, you... It's like you're in a really great place. I can just... when Looking in your face when you told the story was a sorrow. Mm-hmm. Now, when you tell the, the story of you marrying God, your face is so... It shows nothing... It shows how happy you are. And so, when I called the home, I specifically asked for someone that draws. Mm-hmm. So, your therapy is art. Art, yes. Yes. And so, with your um, your therapy being, you know, your therapy, your drawing, like, how does that make you feel? How does, like, the art get you out of... Because I, I think we all can get kind of kicked back in that depression mm-hmm. and you know um a trigger something could happen yes and so how do you how does art help you how does the therapy of art how does it help you i draw what i feel in the present moment like the most recent thing that i for example that i drew was 
my testimony. I drew it out on a piece of paper. Mm-hmm. And when when I was struggling with um, the twisted idea of the love that I was going through back when I was in the world, you know, I just threw, I had to draw what I thought was love. And so, and I made that picture and I looked back at it and I was like, okay, God, I need you to show me what is love. And he reminded me, it's when I held your hand that you found out I was your husband. Hmm. And so I drew a picture of a hand and my hand together like this. Uh And I put, that's my idea of love now. So it's, it really brings me into a, a place of peace. It really, when I have no words to express or I can't talk about how I feel, right. I show everybody my drawing. I, mainly, I show my drawings to my uh, director, and um, and um, so I just really love to draw what I feel. I like to sometimes I like to clash it all together cause, because it's so many things that I'm feeling. Like you know, I could feel angry. I could feel. I could be lusting at the same time and I could just it's just I have to connect those three at the same time and then I like I said before it I have to show them to my director and I'll be like this is what I'm going through and she really looks at it and she studies it she's and then she said is this what you're going through she says the word lust or she'll say the word anger and I'm like yes that's what I'm going through and she really teaches me how to express myself not only through art but now she's teaching me how to to really speak right and i since since i've been drawing again you know before drawing would just be another thing to me i mean somebody wanted me to draw them their tattoos i'll do it in a heartbeat right and um i always like that gang style you know the graffiti the Aztec drawings and I, I that was my thing, you know, something like on lowriders, the murals you would see. Right. That was my type of drawing. Right. And I still do it but like in a godly way. <laughs> <laughs> right. Right. And since then, you know, God restored that gift that gift and now he's turned it around and um what I like to do with my drawings right now is I like to take a verse from my Bible and I like to draw what it means. And uh, since that, since then, you know, I have a lot of people just requesting me to draw them something. And I'm even in uh, an art gallery that we're having at our church. Um, oh, wow. Broken Lives Matter Gallery. And, oh, I hope I get first place. <laughs> oh, you're going to make first place. <laughs> Desiree, thank you so much um, for interviewing with the Help Show. We just want to say we're so grateful. Um, I want to be, I want to ask you. If a young lady or young male Mm -hmm. is listening to this podcast, what word of wisdom could would you give them? I think I would say, if you had any kids, would you put your kids in the same situation that you're in? A prostitution, a pimp, somebody who's trafficking? How would how would that make them feel? How do you feel right now in your current situation? What are you hiding? Like, there's help, you know, and you're not trash. You're treasures out of darkness, and you have so much value. You know, God wants to raise you up into a leader like he did to me. Right. When I thought there was no hope, you know, he couldn't. Why Why would he want to use 
somebody who sold her body so many times, somebody who mistreated so much people. Yet when I came back and I allowed God into my heart, he restored my ability to lead. He restored me drawing again. He made me more gentle, more kind to others, you know. And I believe with all my heart that, you know, God is going to bring my family back to me. You know. And so I just encourage you to, you know, seek help. You know, there's recovery homes that you can look for. And there's a lot of people, you know, you just have to find that, that home church that you can really trust, you know, be under somebody. It really, it really helps being under somebody. Desiree, mm -hmm. can I get a hug? Yes. Oh my God, I just want to give me a hug. Thank. Oh, thank you so much. You're, You're such a diamond. Thank you. Thank you guys for listening to Help Show. If you believe you are the victim of a trafficking situation or may have information information about a potential trafficking situation, call the National Human Trafficking Resource Center (NHTRC) at one eight eight eight. 373-7888. So, Nayetta, what do you think about the interviews? You know what? It never seems to amaze me when I think I know something. I realize I don't. Mm -hmm. And um, when I interviewed um, Desiree, she was like a frail, fragile girl sitting and talking to me. Mm -hmm. And I think that it takes someone very bold to come forward and tell a story. And of such, this is like almost detrimental. Yeah. When she said, you know, that when she was sleeping with those guys and she felt dead, yeah. that broke my heart. Mm -hmm. And she was just saying, God, why don't you take me now? Why do you want me to live? And so going back, because I kind of want to go back and forth with with the counselor, um, with Stacy. Um, those are the kind of um, symptoms most of the girls kind of, they have that emptiness. Yeah, that, that, that kind of trauma, you know, you have to disconnect from yourself almost to survive. And they're survivors. She's definitely a survivor, um, from what I heard from Desiree. But yeah, that numbness that 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 broke my heart too because she had so much love in her life, but she just had to figure out how to connect to it. And from what she said at the end of the interview, when she was talking about about her art, like that art and her faith really brought her back to life almost. Right. And what really. Um stuck out to me is how you know they talk about other countries mm -hmm. and how um, other foreign countries have their their high on um, slave trafficking and hum, you know human trafficking and um, with the work um, labor force and things of that nature mm -hmm. but it's high in our country oh yeah you know we don't have to we don't have to look out you know, yeah. We don't have to go any further. We don't have to go anywhere. Harry Hines. Man, he, what? Deep Elm. Deep Elm. Remember when um, when Stacy was talking about when she first started counseling? Mm -hmm. And she was, in her actually, the place she was counseling was in Deep Elm. And she was seeing these girls, the prostitution, the trafficking. And she like, you know what? Let me do some research on this. Yeah. And so, you know, when people like yourself and, and, and me 
social work and counseling, you don't plan to be a counselor. You don't plan to be a social worker. It's not like, hey, I want to help people with the darkest things in their lives every day. Yeah. But it's a calling. I think it I think it truly is something has to happen for the for you actually to see your calling. Right. I mean, for that that was the most amazing thing about Stacy's interview. It's like, wow, she was just living her life. She, yeah, she was just like, do 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 do. What is that a? Oh my goodness. Okay, okay, we got to see what's going on with this. That's right, and that takes a special person for I, sure. I, I think it does. Mm-hmm. It t- it takes a selfless person. Yeah. You know, in in the line of work that you and I do, we you have to be selfless. There's mm-hmm. a lot of selfish people in this world. We live in the world of me, 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 (laughs) you know? Right. And so back to the interview with, um, with, with Desiree, it was so powerful. Usually I'm just like talky, I'm like, cat. I'm like, what's it? Um, 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 talky, chatty, chatty, Kathy. Yeah, that's me. But I, I, I really didn't have anything. I I was speechless. You could hear the smile. You could hear the joy like as, as she started talking about her life now and how far she's come and, and who she wants to be in the future. Right. Um, but you could also hear the pain. Yeah. When you, could, you could also hear the pain. It changed in the interview. Mm-hmm. You know, she when I first, um, she was almost, when I first started the interview, she was almost timid. Mm-hmm. You could hear the timidness, the, her, 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 voice, in her voice, in her, yeah. in her voice. You could hear it. And then when she talked talk about her faith, and my favorite part is, when um she the perfect guy for her was someone i think her dancing oh, who would dance with her who would dance with her yeah and then who would dance for her is god yeah i thought was that was a, in the most goofy way cuz <laughs> cuz nobody else believed that that could be possible that could be, yeah. you know, find that man <laughs> but <laughs> she didn't have to find him he found, he her. found her yeah and i thought that yeah. was so beautiful yeah. and and i I've, and i she deserves that she deserves that happiness. Yeah, man, she deserves that peace. That has to be hell yeah. to go through that. Yeah, to not know love, and, but to want it so desperately. To not to know, don't even know what it looks like. Mm-hmm. When she said she thought love was abuse, and she felt that the boyfriend that she had, she told him to hit her more, mm-hmm. to identify, to show her that he loves her. Yeah. You know, and, and, and that's how, um, but that's how that, that trafficking really starts because the victim, now she's a survivor, but she didn't love herself. Mm -hmm. And so that's why it was so easy for her to, to be pimped Mm -hmm. because she, she had, she felt that she had no self-worth. You have to know your Mm self-worth and, and that's a lot. That's, that's how these pimps, that's how they get these girls. Yeah. They can, it's like they can spot that, that a, pain a, a mile, mile away. away, and like she was, she was just saying how how Ray, that was a pimp, mm-hmm. had this twisted love. Like he would, he would say, "Oh, he cares," but then go out there and then leave her mm-hmm. and abandon and abandon her. Yeah, and um, what's they made? Um, that's one of the. When I was talking to, let's go back to, we're kind of flip-flopping, but let's go back to Stacy. She, I asked her, um, what are one of the, the safety rules? How does she deal with her clients? Mm-hmm. And she said she establishes a safe place. Yeah. 
And so I can understand her doing saying that because right. Desiree was like what he would leave, Ray would leave her right with nothing with nothing. And so you know, Stacy made the comment saying that you know make sure they have a place to stay, make sure they have you know the what the three shelter food and something else shelter like shelter food and i think comfortability or something like that mm-hmm. but um i can see that because when you have the pimp only thing he wants you to do is go sell your body and and ray wasn't he wasn't like a gorilla pimp yeah he wasn't as, as aggressive as aggressive as she was expecting too yeah she was i mean i could tell that she seemed surprised you know looking back like yeah, he actually let me. He told me to go back to school. Yeah, and I'm like, that's that's the exception, not the rule. That's yeah. But you look at it like this too, you know. He, you have to be the people have to be careful because you can go to jail for that. Oh yeah, that is definitely. And so if you notice, that's why he had that kind of like manipulating mm-hmm. because he didn't want her parents to find out yeah. because she because if she because if her parents would have found out, the whole can of worms have been opened. Yeah. And and then what was so what was what I thought was so interesting is that how how she did it like she would like oh I'm gonna go out for two hours mm. prostitute and would do this like almost like seven days a week and sleep with three men every two hours yeah and just go home and just go home like nothing was different and and I said did your parents know and she was like no. Mm-hmm. But then the other things she had to deal with, you know, being a mom, you yeah. know, having drug addiction, kind of those things kind of were an easy cover. Yeah. Because I, I, I bet her parents knew that she was doing drugs. Mm-hmm. And it's, of course they knew she was sexually active, but she had kids. It's not, you know. That's not a surprise. Yeah. And she was, they were, she was like, oh, they gave me condoms. Right. And so they might have known, they might not have known. Right. But, but it they, sounds like they never abandoned her. No, they didn't. They, no, they didn't. But she had to take responsibility for her own life and so it's great that she you know she said she went through once so she she's still trying she's still trying to get her life to where she wants it to be and, and i really commend her for that me too stay strong um desiree thank you so much yeah we think you did such an amazing job with the interview also you too stacy um continue to keep helping those young girls that are in this in the street being trafficked um to help them get a place of peace mm-hmm. you know because i just i couldn't imagine where they where where their head is, you know. Mm-hmm. Um what I what I can say, even with the young men, you know, young men, young women, love yourself. You know, don't let someone manipulate you. You know, um um Stacy made the comment she you know she made for her evaluation how the girls are being trafficked because the men pretend to be their their boyfriends. They pretend mm-hmm. to have a relationship. Right. You know, in our title, I mean, we we chose marked because, yeah. again, we see it's like like you were saying earlier the the pimps can see that pain on them. It's like they're marked for this, you know, you're not what you should be. So let me use you. Yeah. Um, but now you know they get to choose their own label. And they get to be the person they want to be. So I think that's pretty awesome. I really I really like this um, this month. I think every day be aware, spread awareness. Um, Guys, if you see something that's not appropriate, you guys have to report it. You know, that might be a person's way out. Mm-hmm. And so if you see something that doesn't seem, seems a little edgy, mm-hmm. report it. 
<clears throat> so if you notice suspicious activity in your community, call the ICE tip line at one 346 2423 Don't forget to follow us on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter at The Help Show. All one word. And remember to subscribe to the podcast. Please, please leave comments. We want to know what you think. For more information and to donate, please visit our website at thehelpshow.com. Oops, I'm sorry. Thehelpshow.org. Okay, hey, we're official now. <laughs> .org, honey. <laughs> so, again, for more information, for more information, donate. Please visit our website at thehelpshow.org. Thank you for listening, and please stay tuned.